0: called
1: positive effects of imperialism are only positive from the conquering point of view. People also talk about they learn new languages, they learn new religion, new way of life as a positive, but erasing the cultural heritage or language and beliefs and ways of life of another people aren't usually seen as positive by those people to whom that is done.
0: Hi, and welcome to The Shrinks on 3rd, our psychology and social justice podcast. I'm psychologist Julie Mayer. And I'm psychologist Cindy Ariel. Welcome in. Today, Cindy and I are going to talk about imperialism. We've all heard the word, probably starting in middle school social studies, but do we really understand what it means? And more importantly, what has been done in the name of imperialism?
1: Ooh. Let's refresh our memories and look at the concept
0: and its impact. Well, as usual, let's start with the definition.
1: It always helps me anyway. Yeah. Imperialism is when a country or a people try to have power and control, especially through direct land grabs, usually violent ones, or through political, economic, and social control of other territories and people. Sometimes it's called empire building. It's a nation forcefully imposing its authority over another nation or nations.
0: And often it's cultural values too. It takes a strong belief in the superiority of your own culture and an intense nationalistic sense of devotion to it. It seems fine to love your country and your people. It's when that love excludes others or harms their interests, that's not good. It often gets packaged as caring about another culture too, bringing them your superior values or traditions. But it's really not caring about others. If you care for and respect others, you wouldn't force your values on them. People should be free to rule themselves.
1: Yes, imperialism creates a major power imbalance. It increases one nation's political and economic strength and feeds on the vulnerability of other nations to increase power. It's often against the will of the people, typically involving unprovoked use of military force and severe mistreatment of people who live there.
0: Imperialist takeovers have been happening all over the world for thousands of years. One of the most notable examples being the colonization of America. You've probably heard of that one. (laughs) Yes. Britain
1: has imperialized countries and regions all over the world. The most obvious were the 13 American colonies, but also Canada, the Indian subcontinent, Southern and Northern Africa, Australia, and New Zealand.
0: They really got around. Mm. Imperialism is about taking over. It almost always involves exploiting resources of the conquered country or area for the benefit of the conqueror.
1: Colonialism is related, but a little different. That involves actually setting up colonies, moving in and settling the place. Imperialism impacts societies in so many negative ways. It led to the slave trade, which led to social discrimination around the world. It also damaged cultures and stripped countries of natural resources, as well as introduced foreign diseases to animals and people. Really imperialism has created animosity between countries that were once imperialists and the countries they controlled
0: one of the most known examples of American imperialism was when America took control of the kingdom of Hawaii as a territory in 1898, which allowed the U.S. to have possession and control of all the ports, the buildings, the harbors, the military equipment, public property, all of that, which had previously belonged to the government of the Hawaiian Islands. In this case, it's officially called annexation, but it really means just taking something. The US government worried that Hawaii, which was fertile ground for American Protestant missions, a rich source of sugar from the sugar cane industry, they were worried that it would fall under European rule. It also wanted to acquire the islands of Hawaii because it was a key whaling and trade port to China, East India, and Asia. They also wanted the islands because its location made it the perfect place to keep a close watch over Asian nations with, of course, the construction of Pearl Harbor Naval Base.
1: Yeah, so with Hawaii, as with other moves that the United States has made, the government made a treaty of friendship for an official long-term relationship with Hawaii. And as Hawaii's economy became increasingly dependent on the United States, they made trade treaties and eventually stripped the King of Hawaii of power and suspended the rights of Native Hawaiians because they depended on us so much.
0: That was very tricky and manipulative behavior by the United States, wasn't it?
1: It's unbelievable how many times we see this in our history. Then the King's successor was a strong queen who introduced a new constitution, restored her power and Hawaiian rights but Americans who grew sugarcane there plotted against her to take back the islands for the United States. It's true that not everyone agreed this should be done, but eventually the U.S. surrounded the palace in Honolulu and removed the queen.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a friendship treaty. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So the U.S. government got economic power, military power, and then it worked to remove the native culture and replace it with U.S. culture. The native Hawaiian language was entirely banned from schools and government proceedings in Hawaii. In 1900, Hawaii became a U.S. territory, and the sugarcane guy—I feel like I'm talking about the pillow guy—back <laughs> <His name's laughs> then it was the sugarcane guy yep. um, who led the plot against the queen. Turned out to be its first governor. How about it? Yeah. But then Hawaiians. Started pushing for statehood because
1: they wanted the same rights and representation of US citizens. We were then only 48 states big. And nearly 60 years later, Hawaii did become the 50th state. And that was in 1959. And then in 87, Congress restored Hawaiian as the state's official language and I find this unbelievable, in 1993, President Bill Clinton signed a bill apologizing for the U.S. role in the overthrow of the Queen.
0: I'm going to guess she was dead. Yeah. That is is a lovely story. That is such a nice story. A little too late for apologies if you ask me. Seems like it, definitely. And that's really only one story. Before the U.S. annexed places that it happened to want... Britain and France were at the forefront of imperialism in Africa. These two countries were in competition with each other to dominate European politics and economics.
1: Yeah, so another example of imperialism by the US is when the US fought Spain in the Spanish American War. The United States was looking to become a world power, you know, kind of competing with Britain and France.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And with the Spanish American War, United States imperialism really grew. The United States entered the war that Spain was already fighting with its colonial subjects and provided a strong push of force to help end the war, fighting against Spain for its subjects, or so they were led to believe.
0: Again, friendly to the subjects. That was in, at the end of the 1800s. While they were fighting with them, allies such as the Filipinos were assured by multiple officers in the US that this was ultimately a war for Philippine liberation. And the US was helping the Philippines to seize its freedom from Spain. Again, we were so friendly.
1: Right, they were great. They were allies, they fought together. Yeah. The US forces needed the Philippine forces to take Manila. And as it happened so many times, the US then strikes a deal with Spain and takes over Manila and the entire Philippines and also ends up with a bunch of other territories like Guam and Puerto Rico and even Cuba for a while.
0: Wow, big win there. Yeah. And now, of course, an identity crisis started to develop from, for some people in the US. I mean, we define ourselves as a democratic republic with a government for and by the people. Now there are a bunch of people owned by the United States. Do Filipinos or Hawaiians get to vote? Do they have representation in the House or Senate? There was a lot of resistance by U.S. citizens on the mainland who felt that these people shouldn't count as fully American, sort of like it is with Puerto Rico now.
1: Right. So back then, they actually took that to the Supreme Court, which decided that while these territories are part of the United States, they're not that kind of part. They're not covered by the Constitution. So no, they don't have the right to vote or any other rights provided by the U.S. Constitution for its citizens. They don't have any constitutional guarantees. The court gave Congress the power to decide what rules should apply to the territories.
0: It seems very unfair. And many many Americans felt uncomfortable with the idea that millions of people in Spain's former colonies were now U.S. subjects, not because it was unfair, but because they didn't want these people to be considered Americans. Also, with these territories, millions of non-whites were now part of America, and that disturbed a lot of racists.
1: So the United States originally got involved in imperialism to spread Western values and ideas, to compete economically by acquiring resources and new markets, and to establish naval bases so that they could become a world power. They won their freedom from Britain, and then they kept pushing the Native Americans out and colonizing the land. So they you know, kept doing what Britain started. And then when there was no more expansion westward, when we reached the coast, the
0: U.S. moved toward taking over other places. I just have to say, though, in more peaceful ways, missionaries, doctors, and colonial officials often feel like they have their a duty to spread modern medicine, law, and um, unfortunately, often Christian religion, as though it's, you know, superior to whatever it is that people had before that.
1: Yeah, those are kind of the positive things that they use to justify this crap. The so-called positive effects of imperialism are only positive from the conquering point of view. People also talk about they learn new languages, they learn new religion, new way of life as a positive, but erasing the cultural heritage or language and beliefs and ways of life of another people aren't usually seen as positive by those people to whom that is done imperialists are so nationalistic, they actually believe they're doing people a favor, which helps them justify the expenses and the danger of taking over a place. What imperialist countries really love is getting cheap, efficient workforces and all of someone else's natural and human resources.
0: There really aren't positive effects to imperialism. And I think that a lot of Americans feel like it's such a great honor to be American that any of these places would just be grateful to be part of our country, even though they don't have representation. And we're, as you just said, using up their resources and taking over their labor force, etc. But some of the other so-called positives like modern medicine, strong economy, political organization, they could be brought to people if you want to help them, but you don't have to own or erase them in order to provide those things. You know, you can just help them. You don't have to Take over. What a concept. Yeah.
1: Throughout history, many cultures suffered under the domination of imperialist conquerors, with a lot of indigenous societies being unintentionally or probably mostly intentionally destroyed.
0: Yeah. Just to be really clear, colonialism involves the relocation of people to a new territory as permanent settlers. Once they're established, the settlers maintain their loyalty and allegiance to their mother country while working to control the new territory's resources for the economic benefit of that country, which was what happened originally when Great Britain set up the colonies here. Imperialism, on the other hand, is the imposition of political and economic control over a conquered nation or nations, usually through the use of military force and violence. The people who live in that nation don't necessarily want this, and the people who are taking over don't necessarily move in. But of course, they can, they can do whatever they want, so they can move in if they want to.
1: Objections to Britain's growing imperialistic action all over the place eventually resulted, first of all, in the American Revolution. But a lot of European nations were pretty busy back then exploring the new world, looking for new trade routes, and often violently establishing other settlements in North and South America and also in Southeast Asia.
0: Settling in new places was seen as a major potential source of wealth and also great for religious missionary efforts. In spite of losing its American colonies in 1776, Britain more than made up for the loss by gaining territory in India, Australia, and Latin America. Spain, meanwhile, colonized Central and South America, due
1: in a big way to the Navy's dominance in the sea. Britain was seen as the keeper of world peace and probably one of the largest imperialist countries. And then combining economic power with their great military force, the European countries together, also led by the British Empire, dominated most of Africa and Asia.
0: While profitable, imperialism began to have negative consequences for European empires, their colonies and the world. Increased competition among nations caused an increasing number of conflicts between competing nations. And that's how we landed in World War I. There were a lot of changes after World War I. A lot of colonized people in many parts of the world had expected to win independence as a result of helping their colonizers to fight in the war. But that didn't happen. And the European powers kept most of their colonies. This has happened over and over again. And the US has made this promise too and not kept it many, many times.
1: Yeah, so all these countries, including ours, was just in this big race for as much territory and people as they could have to have and to hold. (laughs) But then driven by their major desire to grow their nations and their world influence, Hitler of Germany and the emperor of Japan launched World War II, which, had even greater human and economic costs for many people and many countries.
0: Oh, yeah. And at the end of World War II, guess what? The US had all these foreign territories, the Philippines, Guam, American Samoa, and it was also occupying Japan, South Korea, part of Austria, part of Germany, and probably other places. At one point, there were 135 million people overseas under American rule more than actually lived here. And then, oddly, the U.S. decided to decolonize
1: some territory rather than to keep growing it. I mean, they owned quite a bit, obviously. But by World War II, there was a lot of anti-colonial protest around the world. You know, all these people, all these subjects didn't actually want to be ruled, just like we fought against Britain's rule. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, we wanted to get out from under their control and then started controlling everybody else. The wars destabilized empires and the anti-imperialists, the, the colonies, the people at the, in the territories were organizing and arming themselves. So it wasn't a real altruistic move on the US part. There were anti-colonial armies, including in the Philippines, that made holding on to our empires more and more difficult.
0: Yeah, and costly. It makes me think about what's happening in Afghanistan right now, that we're, we're out. We don't have to pay for that anymore. It was expensive.
1: Yeah, super complicated.
0: Oh, yeah. So not to change the subject. <laughs>
1: That's a whole another subject. Um, Although it does have to do with imperialism. I agree with you there.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> so the U.S. back then, after World War II, realized that it had other ways to be dominant, new economics, business, and technologies that made it possible to expand power without actually men on the the ground land grabs.
1: Yeah, so it's a modern kind of imperialism. Yes. And the United States is a dominant global power in it, focusing on corporate and political expansion, also called nation building or Americanization.
0: Which is just, like you said, an update of imperialism. The U.S. and other large powerful nations don't like it when countries have political ideologies that don't align with their own countries like Saudi Arabia and China, they're looking to spread their global influence too. Smaller nations like Iran and North Korea, they've been building military capabilities, of course, including nuclear weapons in the hopes of gaining that same kind of strategic advantage.
1: While the United States colonial ownership is declining, we still have strong and growing economic and political influence on many parts of the world. We currently hold five territories or commonwealths, Puerto Rico, Guam, the Virgin Islands, the Northern Mariana Islands, and American Samoa.
0: All five territories elect a non-voting member to the U.S. House of Representatives. I don't really know why that's valuable. Residents of American Samoa are considered U.S. nationals and residents of the other four territories are actually U.S. citizens. These citizens are allowed to vote in primary elections for president, but cannot vote in the general presidential election. That seems really unfair, and it doesn't make any sense, and basically they don't get any representation.
1: I want to say what's the point, but at least they're sitting at the table, although they have no voice at it. So I guess it's better than not including them at all, but is this really the best we can do? Most former U.S. territories, like Hawaii and Alaska eventually became states, but others like the Philippines, Micronesia, the Marshall Islands, Palau, they were mostly held for strategic purposes during World War II and they eventually were let go and became independent.
0: I mean, it really bothers me that we're supposed to be this country full of people who are equal and free, and yet we have these properties and those people have no representation. How is that at all? Just, it's well, not.
1: Property includes the people. So still right. people like property as well.
0: Well, that's kind of what I mean. Like we're just seeing them as property and we don't give them equal rights. And I don't get the logic of it. You know, like they're part of the United States country but they don't get representation. That's why we left the imperialism of Great Britain in the first place. Presidents and citizens alike, like to describe the US as a global force for freedom. Many times in our history, let's just laugh at that, we've subjected and ruled foreign lands, sometimes through violence and bloodshed. Today, roughly 4 million people live in the American territories of Puerto Rico, Guam, American Samoa, and the Northern Marianas. Puerto Rico has been a U.S. territory since 1899, though its residents were only made American citizens in 1917. They still don't have adequate representation.
1: Or rights. The Philippines became independent while Hawaii and Alaska we're promoted to statehood against the objection of racists who, once again, don't want more people of color to be actually part of our country. And even in Puerto Rico, which still remains a territory, there was a constitutional change so that it's a commonwealth now, which means it was, it's no longer a non-self-governing territory, at least according to the United Nations, not completely according to the United States.
0: It is confusing and certainly during those hurricanes there, yeah. it was confusing about how much responsibility the United States took to take care of those people and they certainly didn't take enough. Well, so many citizens
1: on the mainland, which you know we don't usually refer to it as that because that does sound imperialistic, but it actually is. So we're on the mainland and a lot of people don't know that Puerto Rico is part of our
0: country. Okay. I mean, that came out at that time too. People think it's a different country. Yeah, and we don't need to take care of it. I think part of the reason is many Americans don't like to consider the United States as imperialist, though the imperialism of this country is going strong and is still practiced and felt today, as we're explaining. The U.S. also still controls and owns various little islands in the Caribbean that can also function as key strategic military bases and airfields. As a matter of fact, America holds... 650 military bases in 38 different countries in conclusion (laughs) even if it's not what you want to believe
1: about our country we are an imperialist nation and usually at the end of our podcast we have some good ideas on what we can do about these things we don't have time to get into all the things that have to happen
0: right (laughs) it is a huge thing but I think it's just part of our exploration into the history of this country that unfortunately has exposed more and more things that are, are not that worthy of being proud of. And this, this is one of them. Thanks for learning and listening with us. You can find us at shrinksonthird.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at shrinksonthird. Till next time. Take care.